Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the 237th edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a quick hitch across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. Well, it's a guaranteed catch every single time, so I guess I'll take it, right? How you boys doing? Uh, we're doing pretty good, Coach. We're doing pretty good. It's Thanksgiving week, which means there's a lot of football and a lot of eating to be done, two of my favorite pastimes. Uh, but we can't get it started without the third amigo in the second city, a man who knows a thing or two about murderous dictators. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, that might be the most random one yet. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a history teacher. I, I don't know why that makes me <laughs> into murderous dictators. I sent you a graph about them the other day. You did, and I had a great joke that uh, cannot make it to air. No, uh, that would definitely be censored, even more so than our conversation last week. If you made it through our expletive-filled conversation last week, kudos <laughs> to you. All right, well, for all of you guys out there, you know that we are sponsored by BetOnline.ag. The college football season is in full swing, and while you may not be at the games this season, you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. You know, the odds are going so crazy right now with so many teams being games being canceled. So uh, unless you're Florida State, uh, you're probably unhappy about it. So no matter who your team is, head on over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Gents, let's hop right into it. Our week 12 recap. We had all sorts of craziness happening from all over the country. Let's start in uh, Columbus, Ohio, where Ohio State raced out to a quick lead, but Indiana came roaring back, especially in the fourth quarter there, and almost tied it up. Ohio State ends up winning this game 42-35, to but Josh, quite frankly, I think we learned more about Indiana than Ohio State in this one. We did. I mean, uh, they were down 28-7 at half. A lot of good teams have gone to the shoe, got blown out in the first half, and just come out in the second half wanting to get out of the shoe as quickly as possible. But Indiana did their damnedest to dig out of that hole. They made some great defensive adjustments. I know 42 points is a lot to give up, but don't forget, Tom Allen was a defensive coordinator, a very good defensive coordinator for a long time. We saw the defense make some adjustments. They picked off Justin Fields three times. On the day, only gave up 14 points in the second half. Shot them out in the fourth quarter as their furious comeback came on. Another sign of just the incredible job this coaching staff has is when part of your game plan's not running and you need to adjust on the fly, that's pretty impressive. A lot of coaches stick to their game plan, skip to their, stick to their script. We see them struggle to make adjustments. Brian <laughs> Ferentz. <laughs> um, but with Indiana, you know, they realized quite quickly this running game isn't working. And they said to Michael Penix Jr., young man, throw the ball around, just have yourself a day. And if we crawl all the ba- way back, so be it. And Penix responded with a 27 of 51 day 
491 yards, five touchdowns, just one interception. And I feel like if this was, you know, if this game was maybe five minutes longer, I think Indiana would have forced overtime. Uh, they had all they had all that momentum in the in the second half, especially that fourth quarter. And we did learn a lot about Indiana. I think for Ohio State, what it tells us is their offense is really good, that they can have a pretty poor day uh, by their Heisman Trophy candidate in terms of ball security, you know, three interceptions. Uh, he wasn't his most usual efficient self. The defense can have a bad day, but they are special enough to win games. Now, this performance... Let's be fair. Against Alabama, doesn't win. Against Clemson, doesn't win. Against Notre Dame, doesn't win. But the likelihood of them having all the stars align where their quarterback's playing not so great, defense is not playing very good, uh, and the other team is having a career day by the quarterback throwing almost 500 yards, for those three stars to align in the college football playoffs feels pretty unlikely well um I, I think you know ohio state just had one of those days where you know they didn't have it uh, all around and, and i think that um they did a good job of of really kind of bailing out justin fields there was one interception in particular where he i mean it was maybe one of the worst interceptions i've ever seen where he's just he just he's getting tackled and he flings it to the middle of the field, which that is like you're taught. I think when when you first put on a pair of shoulder pads and a helmet, you're taught never throw the ball to the middle of the field while you're getting dragged down. And he does, and Indiana picks him off and looks to be in great field position. And uh, the interception e. The guy that intercepted, I don't even know who intercepted it, but uh, the, the guy that intercepted it fumbled and Ohio State recovered it, regaining possession. So the interception still counts, but uh, it didn't hurt him because uh, Ohio State ended up forcing a fumble on the interception return and, and actually and actually got it. Uh, I'll tell you guys who I'm really, impre- uh, really impressed with was Freifogel. He had seven catches, 218 yards, and three touchdowns. Uh, his third touchdown was, you know, Probably one of the plays of the game. Uh, nice, nice highlight-worthy catch. Uh, of you know, gets interfered with. Um, uh, makes an over-the-shoulder grab with somebody draped all over him. Then all, then tight ropes the sideline, and uh, actually taunts a guy on the way in. Uh, and and uh, just a, just a great exclamation point on, on a great play. Uh, unfortunately, they just couldn't pull it out. Master Teague had a hell of a game. Twenty-six carries, one hundred sixty-nine, and a pair of touchdowns. I guess when Justin Fields is struggling, relatively struggling, I guess 18 of 30 for 300 yards, two touchdowns and three interceptions, I guess is struggling in his book. But um, you have the running game to, to lean on. You have the defense, which actually uh, turned Michael Penix's lone interception into six points. So, I mean, they, they capitalize off some of you know off some of the, the Indiana miscues, and, and, and they just kind of were opportunistic with this game. And so... Um, you know, hats off for Ohio State for being opportunistic and, and winning when they have when they weren't playing their best game. They still had six hundred and seven total yards, so it's not like they were it's not like they were awful. But um you know, I I, I agree with Matt uh, in his initial uh 
in his initial thing about this game. This this showed us a lot more about Indiana than it did against Ohio State. Ohio State had you know they're resilient, you know, and they're talented. They're they're more talented than everybody in the conference. But you know, Indiana just fight, fight, fight. I mean, that's what they do. They fight. And if if you if you get a chance, go watch the speech by Tom Allen, and you'll see why Indiana plays the way they play. So. Um, Coach, you to took them. the words right out of my mouth. I was about to say to wrap up this, you know, our, our recap here. Just go listen to Tom Allen's post game speech. I wish we could get that audio cleared to go on this show. It was amazing. Just, just, just great stuff from Tom Allen. The players sound like they are military troops. A- every, after everything he says, it's, yes, sir. Like super intense, like Tom, you you see why those guys would run through a brick wall for him, proverbially. So, and I, actually, maybe physically too. I mean, some of those dudes, Ty Fryfogel, who you mentioned, probably leading the way there. Um, Indiana had negative one yards rushing as a team, so there's that. Um, but it didn't really matter because Michael Penix was absolutely astounding in this one. Uh, let's stick in the Big Ten and head on over to. Uh, the ugliest game of the weekend, which uh, took place where else Ryan Field, the House of Horrors, for everyone else in the Big Ten West. Um, Northwestern stayed undefeated, beating the Badgers 17-7 to in uh, a, a game that genuinely made my eyes bleed. Um, I just, I, I, I was tearing my eyelids out during this one between the absolutely horrendous officiating and i mean this was a uh this kind of officiating josh made pac-12 officials blush because it was just so absolutely atrocious terrible play calling by wisconsin plus five turnovers four by graham mertz um you know, three picks and a lost fumble. We also had a lost fumble by Garrett Groshek, who has been completely underwhelming in his senior season. The only, only bright spot for Wisconsin outside of their, on the offensive side of the ball, at least, is true freshman Jalen Berger, who is the next great New Jersey back to don the Badgers Cardinal and white uniforms. But I think this game showed us, you know, e- even more, though, about the resiliency of Northwestern, Josh. It did. And, I mean, we've talked about Northwestern's vastly improved offense. But, uh, you know, Pat Fitzgerald, he's made a lot of money being a defensive-minded coach. But we should also give some love for former Wisconsin defensive coordinator Mike Hankowitz. Mm. He's been on Fitz's staff now since 08. Yep. 13th season. Yeah, he is a really good defensive coordinator. And, you know, just they made Wisconsin's day miserable. You mentioned the turnovers. You dig a little deeper, you see three of 16 on third down uh, in some desperation, trying to get a spark. Wisconsin attempted four fourth downs, only converted on two of them. Um, You know, the penalties, you know, I think – yeah, they were frustrating, and yeah, two pass interference calls gave Northwestern life on their drive that led to their first touchdown. But overall, I, I think, you know, if you were to list about 10 reasons for this game, I, I don't know if the penalties, quite frankly, would crack would crack the top 10 for me. Um, you look at Wisconsin's just where they 
they come in on their third downs. Why was their third down efficiency so bad? Tons and tons of third and longs on their punt to start the game. They faced a third and 10 after an incomplete pass. Uh, their next punt, a little later in the first half, uh, they had a third and one manageable and lost yards. They got sacked. Um, and then, so that one wasn't a third and long, but it was a poor third down play. Uh, their next punt, they had another fourth, and it was kind of a long three. Uh, their next punt, they had a third and five, so a medium that they couldn't convert on. We're used to seeing Wisconsin uh, have like third and ones or third and twos. Uh, next punt, they had a third and 10 play, incomplete pass. That's not Wisconsin football. Next drive, they had a third and 15 that ended with a loss of five yards <laughs> to set up a fourth and 20. That's uh, that's not Wisconsin football right there. Uh, you see again, another fourth and medium. Just not what we're used to seeing. The other thing is um, I didn't really like their balance, Matt. You mentioned their play calling, and I know people are going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. They attempted 42 passes as a team and had 40 runs. What What's wrong with the balance? Well, the problem is that two of their carries were by wide receivers. And those two runs generated a whopping negative eight yards. Okay, Josh, I'm going to say something really, um, something I'm probably going to regret. Yeah, those two runs were by white wide white walk on <laughs> wide receivers. Um, okay, Jack Dunn, Adam Crumholtz, are great special teams guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're you know they they're gym rats, if you will. Yeah, they know the playbook through and through. They're coaches on the field. <laughs> High uh, IQ. Decept Super high deceptive, football IQ. Deceptive athleticism. Yeah. They had to start two white walk-on wide receivers in this game because their top two wide receivers were out because of hashtag COVID. Yeah, so that's why you shouldn't this was, pass it for... That, that, this is, that was a difference in this game. Oh, well, and, and the other thing was that Jake Ferguson had seven catches and... Chimmery DK only had two though. Chimmery DK had the bomb for 49 yards for a touchdown and only had one other catch for three yards. He's the only other offensive weapon with Davis and with um uh and with Pryor out that can do something in the open field. DK needed to be involved way more in the passing game if they were gonna have any success whatsoever. And this is actually very indicative of the poor job that the Badgers did recruiting wide receivers in the past couple of classes before DK, the true freshman this year. Um, and, you know, like Davis and Pryor are both very good, you know, mid to upper level Big Ten receivers. DK is going to be an upper level, like he is an NFL draft talent at the wide receiver position, but they have no one between the senior class and the freshman class and DK as a true freshman that contributes at all. And, and, and that was the problem today because when they can just double team Jake Ferguson, the tight end, um, 
and make a true freshman beat them one-on-one who's not even getting enough playing time, you know, that's the problem. That That's the real big problem there. And Krumholtz and Dunn are great team players. They're great special teams guys. But they are not targets who can beat a corner, a Big Ten corner, one-on-one on the outside, especially especially against a Northwestern defense who, you know, coming into the game was giving up 14 points a game and only gave up seven to Wisconsin. If you want my full thoughts, go go head over to the Believe in Badger Football podcast. Uh, myself and Bob Brainerd uh, from 97.3 The Game Milwaukee did a full recap slash rant slash therapy session. Uh, it's available wherever you can get your podcasts. I don't need to talk too much longer about it because I'm just going to get my blood pressure worked up even more than it already well, is. Well, Matt, th- this is this is what I wanted to do to get your blood pressure up and why I was going to ta- say that the play calling balance I didn't like. So It was, yeah, it they, it was they, terrible. They, it was a yeah, terribly they, called game. Well, they ran the ball 40 times, okay, and, and 42 passes. That's good balance on paper. But when you actually do the math and look at the quote-unquote analytics, um, two of their runs were by wide receivers, and those generated negative eight yards. So they're averaging 3.4 yards per carry. So we do a little math. Let's pop 136 plus eight, get that back. 144. And then, yep, and then... Divide it now by 38 carries. Yeah, 3.9. We've jumped, from, we've jumped from 3.4 to 3.8. Then they're given the fullback two carries for two yards, did nothing on the day. No point in that. So let's take away those two carries and those two yards are down to 142. And then Groshek, Matt, you mentioned it. Absolute empty waste of a day. So we'll take those 10 yards off. So now we're down to 132 by... Hold on, the... hold on, hold on, Josh. I don't want to say just take those 10 yards off. He had a long of 13. So I his know. other six runs combined <laughs> for negative three yards. Yeah. So so we got 132 yards between Berger, who had a heck of a day, uh, Watson, who was a nice change of base back, and Mertz, who had some nice runs, nice scrambles, including a 24-yarder. Yeah, he got sacked a couple times, but... Overall, he he was not the worst. So we got 132 yards, and we've gone from 40 carries to 29. And what do we get? We get a really competent 4.3 yards per carry. So long story short, why are you giving the ball to a guy who's not seen the hole at all seven times? Why are you giving the ball to the fullback two times? Why are you giving the ball two times to wide receivers? It it makes no sense. You, you really had 40 pass plays and 29 well-called competent runs. Really even less than that because some of Mertz's runs were not designed runs. Uh, well, he was, story, well, I mean, three of those were sacks. So. Yeah. So long story short, the there was not real balance. The when you just scratch a little bit of the surface, you realize Wisconsin was totally out of balance for what they do and what they do best. Their offensive line is still set up to be run blockers first. And Matt, you mentioned the day that young Jalen Berger had 15 carries, 93 yards. He was really good. There's no reason he should not have had a hundred yard day. There's no reason he shouldn't have had 20 some carries on this game. It was just a horrible 
horrible offensive game plan. Yeah, coach, I don't think I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I mean, I think you guys explained it really, really well. I, I just thought Wisconsin played extremely sloppy. I thought uh, the defenses were uh, much present in this game for a long time. It was seven seven. Neither team could could find a way to break through, but each team found ways to uh, screw up their chances for a little while. The Northwestern said, "Okay, I'll take it," and then Wisconsin said, "Sure, you can have it." And then uh, was and then Northwestern's like, "You sure you don't want it?" And then Wisconsin's like, yeah, mate, we'll get, no, you, you can have it. And then Wisconsin's like, no, are you sure? Or Northwestern's like, no, are you sure? Because we can take it, I guess, um, if you don't want it. And Wisconsin's like, eh, okay, yeah, yeah, take it, take it, take it, take it. Um, and, and that was in the form of bad ball security. Head-scratching play calls at times. I, I think the balance was fine um, as far as run to pass, but it's just the timing of some of these play calls. And and the and the personnel used in these play calls, I, I think, uh, was was baffling to me. You know, and you guys covered that well. So, um, well, all I'll say is, I think, to me, Wisconsin lost this game more than Northwestern won. Well, the other thing I, I forgot to mention too is, you know, we, we give Graham Mertz so much attention. This was his third career start, and this was his first start against a defense that is. Not just good, but like one of the league's best. Illinois' defense is bad. Michigan's defense is atrocious. And to to just put it the entire game on him without Wisconsin's two best wide receivers is, I mean, that's asinine. Yeah, it really is. It was just, I don't know, Joe Rudolph infuriates me oftentimes. I don't know if he was <laughs> calling the plays on this one or not, but again, well, the Badgers' offensive line needs to do better. Oh. They just well, need to do con- better. Let's congrats. Let's congratulate Northwestern. Yeah, their no- team that's taken advantage of all the opportunities given them this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had a stellar comeback against Iowa. Took advantage of a late turnover there by the Hawks. Took advantage of all the Wisconsin turnovers. They are undefeated. They need to lose twice. They need Iowa to win out. Thanks to Minnesota, Wisconsin being canceled. Wisconsin's no longer eligible for the Big Ten title games since they won't have six, unless six unless games. A, in, unless another enough other teams uh, have to cancel games that the average drops below yeah. six, which seems unlikely. So Northwestern needs to lose twice in their next three games. Their their remaining three are at Michigan State. Uh, dog, that's a win. <laughs> Uh, at Minnesota, which is suddenly way different because the Gophers are evidently having uh, a crazy COVID thing. Uh, dog, that's a cancellation due to COVID. <laughs> and then, no dog. And then, surprisingly, their their, their toughest opponent might be Illinois left. Uh, dog, that's a Lovey Smith special. Yeah. So, uh, hats off to the Wildcats. Dog. Uh, best case scenario, I'm reverse jinxing them, and this will help Iowa. But I think Northwestern's going to represent the West and. You know, it's 2020. <laughs> There's been a global pandemic. Why, why not the cardiac cats stunning Ohio State to win the title? It would it would, be... it would have been even better, though, if Indiana had won this weekend and if it was Northwestern versus Indiana in the title game. I mean, that would have been that the have most been 2020 thing of all time. True. Unless it was like Northwestern versus Rutgers. <laughs> So, I don't think 2020 could even get Rutgers into the Big Ten title game. 
Well, Rutgers almost beat Michigan this weekend. Uh, Wolverines needed three overtimes to win 48 to 42. Uh, I sadly think that says more about Michigan than Rutgers improvement. Says way more about Michigan, considering that Michigan won by more than 50 last year against Rutgers. Yeah. Um, uh, elsewhere, uh, Illinois won, and then Illinois' social media team won again <laughs> over Nebraska this weekend. Uh I think that puts. I'm telling you, the Big Ten social media game is on point. <laughs> I yeah. saw, I, uh, so uh, I saw some uh, some great comments on the Nebraska message boards. Uh, they blame the refs more than really any fan base I've seen mm. in the Big Ten. And <laughs> there was a comment that received quite a lot of praise and recommendations, which was a conspiracy theory that goes beyond just blaming the refs. They believe based on the referee performance against Illinois, that because Nebraska tried to reschedule the Wisconsin game that got canceled and the league's angry at them, that the league is deliberately sending them refs that are either incompetent or directed to screw over Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, They didn't see the crew apparently that did the Wisconsin Northwestern game. I'm going to leave it at uh, that. They, they also didn't uh, acknowledge that uh, the refs don't call, don't pass three interceptions. Yeah, that doesn't help. <laughs> um, someone actually having a worse season than Nebraska, Penn State, Josh. Um, yes. Uh, Iowa looked once again. Iowa put up 40 points again, Josh. I don't know what. No? I, I don't know what. Uh, what what sort of devilry is happening there that <laughs> you know that allows because it's not like Iowa like racked up a ton of yards. I mean, what uh you know three hundred fifty three hundred sixty one yards is not exactly like a ton of yards. They didn't really. They, they had a seventy one yard pick six. Okay, that'll help. So, that helps. Um, that helps. But you know what? How did this turn into such a blowout? Penn State's really bad at football this year. Um, yeah, I mean, Iowa Iowa took advantage of, again, kind of like what Northwestern does. When you have a team playing really crappy football, you need to take advantage of it, and that's what Iowa did. By the way, here were their scoring drives. They had a 75-yard drive. That's pretty good. A 41-yard touchdown drive, okay, a little bit shorter. 49-yard touchdown drive, a little bit shorter. 54-yard drive. So, you know, they were given some starts kind of near midfield, and they took advantage of those short fields. And then, like I said, they had a pick six late to uh, pad the the cushion even more. Um, What they're doing is... After that 50-pass game, which was just absolutely stupid, one of the stupidest game plans ever conceived by Brian Ferentz, uh, Dad came out in the press conference and was like, yeah, we're not doing that again. And um, they have it. And they they really are covering Spencer Petras as he learns the game. He's another kid. This was his fifth career start, so he's still pretty wet behind the ears. They are basically putting him in a position not to fail. He only attempted 28 passes, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, They're doing a lot of underneath stuff. They're starting to get the tight end 
a little bit more involved. Uh, the really good tight end, who I think is the next best, you know, next big name Iowa tight end, uh, Sam Laporta. He had three receptions, but way more targets than that. And they're leaning on that running game. Uh, Makai Sargent, 101 yards, Tyler Goodson, 76 yards, and three touchdowns between them. Um, here's here's a nice stat line, by the way, for funny stat lines. Uh, quarterback Spencer Petras for Iowa, seven carries, negative 18 yards, one touchdown, long of three yards. <laughs> Averaging negative 2.6 yards per carry. Yeah, so... Again, you know, Penn State, they had four turnovers. That's, you know, that's just absurd. Uh, They really had no offense in the first half. They uh, benched Clifford to start the game. Sean Clifford had been their starter all last year and starter at the beginning of this year. Uh, They tried to get a spark with Will Levis. Well, he's making his first career start against Iowa's defense. Iowa's defense has been really good this year. At halftime, they make the switch and go back to Clifford, and Clifford really sparked Penn State. He had two nice touchdown drives and two touchdown passes, and then basically Iowa made the necessary adjustments, and Penn State looked absolutely incompetent for the fourth quarter. So three out of four quarters, Penn State was incompetent, and four turnovers, not going to win games that way. Penn State's just a bad football team. They're a bad football team with quite a bit of distraction, too. With oh, those there's stories. distractions at Penn State? Yeah, just a few. Um, and, and you can't have that stuff, man. And, and you know, it just goes to show you, um, yeah, I guess the shine's worn off a little bit on, uh, you know, on what's going on over there. And um, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know what the word is on James Franklin. I, I don't know if. If I'm a Vandy fan, if I want him, I I don't know. You guys know who I want. Kirk Ferentz? No, I, I'm not taking Brian Ferentz off your hands. Hugh, no. Hugh Freeze. Uh, hail to the na-na. No, Art Bryles. I, uh, I'd take his son before I took him. Son not, <laughs> would actually not be a bad hire. Kendall Bryles wouldn't be a bad hire, but no, I want I, I want Billy Napier. Mm, I thought you were going to say your favorite Bills coach, Jim Grobe. <laughs> no, uh, no, I, I, I want Billy Napier or I want Will Healy. I want one or the other. All right. Or yeah. or I'll or I'll, or I'll take Coastal's coach, but <laughs> I preferably preferably <laughs> J- I, I love Jamie I love Chadwell. How, I love how Jamie you're Chadwell. acting like I love how you're acting like Vanderbilt is like. Ohio State after the interim year with Luke Fickle, where they're just going to have a pick of whatever coach they want, and they just have to make one phone call, and they immediately get the person. Listen, no, I know. Like, <laughs> I, no, I think no, a lot of those people might turn down Vanderbilt. No, like I will. Like, in a, like I would really like Luke Fickle, but I know he would turn down Vanderbilt. Like, yeah, we're we're, we're going to call John Gruden, Bill Belichick, Urban Meyer. <laughs> Um, actually, actually, we're gonna hire all of them. We're gonna have Bill Belichick be our defensive coordinator. We're gonna have Urban gonna, Meyer be our offensive coordinator. We're gonna lure Parcells out of retirement to, to lead the program. <laughs> and then, and then we'll have I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually gonna, I, I'm actually going to uh, raise Vince Lombardi from the dead to uh, to coach the team. I no, like you're that. You're gonna like get Marv Levy. I like that my Chan Gailey as the head coach went, flew under the radar. <laughs> 
I caught that one. Let's just go through the lineage well, of all the Bills uh, coaches and put them uh, on one staff. Oh, so, so we're going to on Wade Phillips. Dick Turan. <laughs> Mike Malarkey. Wow. Oh, Malarkey. Uh, uh, Mike Patton. Oh, God. He, I forgot. Rex Ryan. <laughs> oh, don't remind me. Oh, it's been, guys, it's been rough. It's it's been really rough. So uh, I we don't need to talk anymore about that. Uh, let's talk about JT Daniels instead. Hey, well, r- real quick, just uh, two minor footnotes. Uh, real, actually, just one minor footnote. Uh, Minnesota over Purdue in the garbage pass interference game. Um, we we've all seen it. Purdue got hosed. Purdue should have won this game. That was outrageous, but not quite as outrageous as a text I got from dad. Uh, on. 9, 9.52 p.m. on Friday night. Get a text. I cannot believe I am bummed Purdue got screwed. Terrible pass interference call. Uh, oh, sorry. I forgot to mention Friday was my mom's birthday. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Our family likes football a little bit. I, I, do I even want to know what Jared's texting you? Uh, a lot of anti-Harbaugh stuff. I don't know why. You know, everything's going so well in Michigan. Urban Meyer's the next head coach at Michigan. <laughs> How would you, it, 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 if that does happen? Chance. Though we need to get Jared on the pod. Matt, the problem is Urban Meyer isn't a Michigan man. He's not a Michigan man. Oh, they're gonna great. they're gonna hire the uh, they're gonna hire an Ohio State man and Luke Fickle. I don't know if Fickle takes that job. I think he does. Uh, it's been, you know, since 1997. 23 that was Michigan's, years. Michigan's last national title. They that was was that also their last Big Ten title? Yes, because they didn't they didn't win any um, under Hoke or. Um, What's his face? Oh, why am I blanking? Rich Rod. And they sure as heck hasn't haven't won any with Harbaugh. So they had a share. They had a share of it in two thousand and four. They shared yeah. it with Iowa. Yep. They shared it with Northwestern and Purdue in two thousand. Um, yeah. But in both those years, oh, so I guess so. Michigan went to the Rose Bowl in two thousand four when Iowa went to the Capital One Bowl. Um, yeah. In 2000, Purdue went to the Rose Bowl. 98, Michigan shared it with Ohio State and Wisconsin. Wisconsin went to the Rose Bowl. Michigan ended up at the Citrus Bowl. Yeah, but Michigan, Michigan's not really counting half championships. Or a third of a championship. No. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, let's be honest. I don't think Michigan fan base wants to hear this, and you know for sure Nebraska fan base is sick and tired of hearing this, but um, this isn't the 90s anymore. Michigan is, has not been a marquee program for a really long time. Nebraska hasn't been a marquee program for a really long time. There's We've talked about Nebraska's recruiting issues, but Michigan also has recruiting issues. The state is 
<laughs> not great economically. And the, typically when things are rough in your state, the education system is going to get poorer and things like that. And let's be honest, the school districts that tend to produce the best athletes are also some of the schools that are going to struggle to produce academic people up to snuff for Michigan. It's a public Ivy. It's got really high standards. So, uh, and then you kind of factor in that the kids that check all the boxes of incredibly ready to play, they're the five-star recruit, their academics are all in order. Where do they want to go? Ohio State, where they can compete for a national title. So, Okay, if they get Luke Fickle, that's awesome. Luke Fickle's a hell of a coach. He might do better than Jim Harbaugh, but he also might not. There's, you know, we're entering a new phase. And um, I don't know if Michigan will ever be, you know, like they were with Bo, you know? Like, you know, Bo Schembechler had them in the Rose Bowl, felt like every other year. Well, because they weren't uh, allowed to go in back-to-back years. Yeah, I mean, they're sure as heck not going back to the good days of uh, of fielding Yost. Like, uh, and the other thing too that I think Ohio State fans or Michigan fans are a little deluding themselves is their best run against Ohio State came with John Cooper, who just could never beat Michigan. Woody Hayes had a winning record against Bo. Urban Meyer had a winning record against Michigan. Jim Tressel had a massive winning record against Michigan. Like, Ohio State is the marquee program. Michigan is a lot closer to the Iowas of the world than they are to the Ohio States and Alabamas of the world. Bo Schembechler won or had a share of the Big Ten title in 13 of his 20 seasons as the head coach of Michigan. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean... That's pretty good. That is pretty darn good. And he happened to overlap with a couple of other... Oh, guys, I think we consider pretty good. Uh, Woody Hayes. Mm Mm-hmm. Hayden Fry. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Duffy Doherty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I I think that you know even Daryl Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Earl Bruce. All these guys who were some pretty darn good football coaches. Huh. He, he was beating them consistently. So, huh. uh, right. it's a different it's a different era though. I mean, the Big Ten of the. 70s and 80s is the SEC now. Mm-hmm. The, the, fo- the sport has shifted south. The south produces the most athletes. All of the Rust Belt states are declining. And, it, you know, it, at the end of the day, though, it's it's college sports. You know, it's meant to be fun. And uh, Michigan with Harbaugh just isn't fun. It's, it's a torture to watch that team. And maybe Luke Fickle changes that. Maybe Luke Fickle takes the job. But I guess if I'm Luke Fickle, I'm kind of sitting there going, mm, yeah, I got an incredible gig here at Cincinnati. I will perennially compete for the American. I'm going to wait 
for the absolute best job. I'm going to wait for something like, oh, whenever USC pulls the trigger on Helton. I'm waiting for, mm, let's see, Alabama under Saban has a whole bunch of like has-beens and also rands filling up his... Alabama evidently has like 35 analysts. Who is the heir apparent for Nick Saban? Seems like nobody. Jeremy Pruitt. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he would be he would definitely be Alabama's eighth choice out of oh wait, no, eightieth choice. They, they they need to have the the burner the burner coach yeah. in between uh Saban and the, the next guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the other thing Luke Fickle might be thinking is wow, you know, <laughs> Florida State has a pipeline to a lot of good recruits and Norvell's clearly in over his head. Um, maybe that's a place. Uh, we've talked about Manny Diaz before. None of us are convinced about Manny Diaz. So, you know, maybe Luke Fickle takes that Michigan job because he's a Midwestern person and a Big Ten person, but there's way better jobs in Michigan floating around out there. Is Penn State a better job than Michigan? Because that's probably coming open too. Um, I don't know enough about Penn Not State's like behind the scenes operations. I do know that uh, one of the reasons why Michigan was able to lure Harbaugh from so many NFL opportunities was they promised a lot of uh, improvements in uh, in their facilities, and they they've done a great work on Michigan Stadium. I think some of the fr- practice stuff and a few other things behind the scenes, Michigan kind of kicked the can on and pushed it down the line. And I think that's adding to Harbaugh's dismay with things. Um, so there might be Penn State behind the scenes might be a better job, but coach alluded to an elephant in the room. There's a there's a whole lot of smoke with a potential second major scandal involving hazing of players. Uh, a player in a lawsuit alleges some really disgusting things happening there. So uh, I, I guess if I was in Luke Fickle's position, I don't know if I would touch Michigan or, with, or Penn State with a 10-foot pole. All right. No. We get, we, we got to move on to the SEC. We will start, Coach, with your squad uh, and the yes. debut of JT Daniels. All I could say is why wasn't he starting from week one? Knee issues. I mean, he wasn't. He straight up wasn't cleared for the Arkansas game. I mean, you could see it throughout throughout the game where he he wasn't quite a hundred percent on that knee, and you could tell there was some throws that he made he didn't trust driving into that front leg, and that's a big deal when you're a quarterback if you don't trust your uh, the the leg that you drive into, um, and and he couldn't move. I mean, he could like some of the stuff that he was doing uh, on Saturday. He couldn't do throughout the season. He didn't have the he didn't have the velocity on on his on his throws the the, the way he did uh, Saturday night. And there was a lot of things that he just didn't quite have after coming off major knee surgery that took some time to build up. I mean, he had to basically he had to start from scratch. I feel like and and uh, you know it just took him a while. And, and even though he was medically cleared after Arkansas, he wasn't he wasn't anywhere near ready. To, to go out there. I mean, it would have been a disaster had they tried to put him out there in uh, in week two against against Auburn. It would have been it would have been an absolute utter nightmare for him, and, and he probably it probably would have set him back honestly. And he might have he probably would have gotten hurt again uh, if he tried to go out there sooner. And so, um, 
if you ask me why he wasn't out there, that's why. Um, and then there were some throws that proved that that proved that point. But there was also a lot of throws that proved that he took his time and he got polished. He, he took every advantage of of his uh, chances to to rehab and to you know build up his strength. I mean, he got scout team work. Uh, he got work with the ones during fall camp. Um, you know, when they brought in Jamie Newman initially, they, they, they always figured that JT wasn't going to be ready to go and he was just going to work and work and work and, and work up till next year. Um, so that, and then give Newman this year to start and be an emergency backup if, if needed. But, uh, that wasn't the case. And, um, you know, I'm just happy that we got it now, uh, rather than later. So, uh, you know, if you're asking me about his play on the field, I mean, my God, the guy, the guy had a lot of poise. Guy had command. The guy has this. The guy has a sense of arrogance that you need out of your quarterback, where he's going to make those deep throws. And, and he even said in his press conference, he goes, "Yeah." Somebody asked him about like throwing to all the receivers. He's like, "Yeah, it, um, you know, if I'm not going to throw to him, then then why do we have him on scholarship?" And so. I mean, he's not afraid to throw to anybody. He gets everybody involved in the game. Um, you know, the fact that they just opened up and, and made up for the fact that they only rushed for eight yards um, in the game, which is the most anti-Georgia thing to do, is outstanding. He had a he had a Graham Mertz type of type of debut, um, not quite, but kind of on that same level where you're just like you you come out of the game and just go, wow, this kid's special. Yeah, he had himself a really, really nice game. I mean, 400 yards and four touchdowns with that. First time since first time since Aaron Murray in 2013 that we had a 400-yard passer. Fromm never cut uh, top 400. Oh no, Fromm was like 0 for whatever if he if he attempted over 20 passes. Oh my goodness. Or no, it was like there was there was a special number. It was either 25 or 30 passes. Game if manager went, much. Yeah, if, if he went over that mark, Georgia was over. Uh, they lost every game he went over that mark. <laughs> sounds, sounds like the bus from Speed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really was. If he went over 55 miles an hour, he was going to explode. <laughs> uh, if he went under 55, he was going to explode. Um, but yeah, no, that that was uh, yeah. Fromm never had a three. Fromm never had a four uh, a 400 piece. Uh, he didn't throw enough passes to to have a 400 piece. On the other side of the field, just real quick, um, I used up most of my talking time on the Big Ten, but I was impressed with uh, Mississippi State freshman quarterback Will Rogers. He's oh yeah, yeah, yeah I, I was forty-one gonna... of fifty-two, three thirty-six. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, he, the dude he, couldn't he, miss. He's huh? grown a lot since his first start against Vanderbilt, where in the first couple of drives he looked great, but they didn't really score much after the first quarter against Vanderbilt. They locked him down, yeah. and he's definitely grown uh, a fair bit. For sure, yeah. Georgia made necessary adjustments late in the second half uh, to pull that game out. But I mean, it was just a, a scenario of you know within this offensive scheme, and, and we saw it throughout his time at Washington State and Texas Tech, and you know even as a coordinator at Kentucky and uh, wherever else he was a coordinator, uh, Oklahoma. Uh, you, you saw that if they were extremely accurate, get the ball out on time, you can't get sacked. And you're going to complete high percentage passes. You can, and, and you're patient. You're going to move the ball down the field, and, and that's what Mississippi State did. And, and versus not being patient, turning the ball over uh, a lot, and being careless with it, like, and then that's kind of why KJ Costello is a spectator now, not not a player, because he couldn't take care of the football. 
No, he could not. Yeah. Um, State, also, State still needs a lot around him, though. We'll, we'll put them uh, on the back burner. They have, they, they have miles and miles and miles to go as far as building depth and getting the right type of talent. But, I, you know, this is kind of the, the mark of, mark of, uh, of the Pirate. He's going he's gonna to scrape rock bottom every single place he takes over the first year. He's going to scrape rock bottom, and he's going to run off some guys that he doesn't like. Uh, he's going to make sure that he's going to want to build it his way. And and by doing that, there's going to be some instances where you're like, uh, wow, is, is he doing the right thing? Did we hire the right guy? And then all of a sudden you're going to see that turning point where they start playing together and then it goes from there. Like, wasn't Washington State two and ten in his first year? Something like that. Like they got worse after in his first year, and then and then they went on that tear of winning like eight, nine, ten ball games a year with Luke Falk, and then eventually Gardner Minshew. Yeah, that sounds about right. So I mean that that's kind of that's kind of my expectation of, of his time at Mississippi State if they if they're patient enough with them, um, I think he's going to get that kind of. Th- get that kind of deal going there too. Also in the SEC, we saw Alabama um, go around and beat Kentucky like a redheaded stepchild, uh, <laughs> 63 to three, because my God, like Kentucky, like they didn't show up at all. Like they didn't even bother to travel. Like, I don't even know. I don't even know what happened there. It's uh, okay. Ke- Kentucky won at Tennessee this year for the first time since, 1926, so their yeah. season's been a success. Speaking of Tennessee, they managed to lose to Auburn 30-17. Uh, to 17. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, didn't, they, didn't they just uh, sign that coach to like a nice deal? They, Fire's they, remorse. They extended Jeremy Pruitt in the offseason, and I'm not quite sure why they did that. Oh, um, it's, a, it's a good thing, as Coach pointed out, he's probably heading to Alabama. <laughs> um Florida beat Vanderbilt after, you know, there was a point in the first quarter where Vanderbilt was winning 10 to seven. So I'm uh, a big fan of Ken Seals. Ken Seals is a good quarterback, man. Ken Seals is going to be a good quarterback in the SEC. They got some young players. They just, they've had a million opt outs due to COVID and they're getting more. Todd Fitch is getting more creative with that offense. I, I noticed. Here's the thing. Todd Fitch is getting better. Ted Roof is getting worse. That's all I got to say about this one. <laughs> I feel like Ted Roof has coached at about 95 schools in his career. Uh, he's, a, he, he's a world traveler. He, he definitely is. He's at least an American traveler. Um, Mizzou, South Carolina, woof. We don't need to talk about that. LSU, Arkansas. LSU wins 27 to 24. Arkansas got screwed again. Well, yet yeah. again. I mean, Arkansas, you know, there's a world that Arkansas is 6 and 2. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, yes, they got screwed. Yes, the field goal was blocked. That would have tied the game. But let's give some love to the resiliency that they had. They were down 2014 at halftime. Things weren't going great in the first half. Their third down efficiency was atrocious, 0 for 10. Their time of possession is hilarious. Uh, they, their their TOP was 1817. Uh, it's a it's a sixty minute ball game, so I'll let you guys do the math. Um, and they were right there in this, and I mean, it just gets again to, uh, yes, they're three and five. Yes, when you have these rebuilds, you're, you're going to have one step forward and two steps back. And in a couple years, maybe even next year, 
this type of game. They find a way to win. But I'm so impressed still by the rebuild. Uh, Sam Pittman is definitely the coach of the year in the SEC. So um, let's um, th- just real quick. Uh, here's Ted Roof's resume since I brought it up. Uh, a lot of time at Duke, to say the least. Linebacker coach at Duke, then UMass linebacker coach, then UMass defensive coordinator, Western Carolina defensive coordinator, Georgia Tech linebacker, Georgia Tech defensive coordinator, Duke defensive coordinator, Duke head coach, Minnesota defensive coordinator, Auburn defensive coordinator, Central Florida defensive coordinator, Penn State defensive coordinator, back to Georgia Tech defensive coordinator, NC State defensive coordinator, Appalachian State defensive coordinator, and now Vanderbilt defensive coordinator. His last three spots were all one and done seasons. Not necessarily a great sign. That was the uh, that was the worry I had about him, Matt. I mean, you know, his schemes are good. I, I think he has good intentions, but there's a reason why he's a there's a reason why he's a nomad. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what they say about good intentions. Yeah. So, uh, I I completely agree with you there, Coach. And with that, let's go to his old conference, the ACC. Um, not a whole lot to write about home to write home about in this one. Three Liberty games. goes down. Oh wait, they're not in the ACC. <laughs> well, Liberty goes down. They might as well be in the ACC. They are the second best team in the ACC, or maybe the third best team in the ACC, depending on how you feel about Miami. Uh, North Carolina State wins an ugly one, fifteen to fourteen, uh, against Liberty. Liberty finally gets their first loss of the season at eight and one. So they're now down to eight and one. Uh. Virginia Tech. Uh, is this the beginning of the end for Justin Fuente, Josh? I mean, I'm well documented on him. I, I don't. I never thought it was a good fit. I yeah. I'm not. I'm surprised by the lopsided nature of this score. I'm not surprised by the outcome. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, they are what their record is, and you can say the same thing about Dino Babers too. Oh, I mean, Syracuse is just, they've fully checked out. And I know they've they have had a ton of injuries, but let's be honest. Syracuse's depth chart right now is replacing about, oh, two and three star uh, <laughs> starters that have gotten hurt with about one star kids. They don't, so, even, they don't even make one star kids anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like... the, the, the results... I don't think you can blame all the injuries on this one and eight record. And I mean, just you look at their stats and it's just, it's mind bogglingly awful. Uh, they use two quarterbacks against Louisville and the, the two combined for six of 16 for 45 yards and in an interception. And I mean, Louisville blows them out. Louisville beats them 30 to nothing. And it just shows you well, the and gap on top of between that, these teams because Louisville, the win improved Louisville to three and six. Babers is an air raid guy too. <laughs> I mean, it is it is ugly there in upstate New York, my 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 uh, my childhood stomping ground. Uh, another place where the air raid is prevalent is in the Big Twelve, uh, Iowa State. Well, I mean that would that w- they put up big t- big twelve numbers, forty five points. Kansas State, um, Josh, what the flip happened to the Wildcats here? <laughs> well, 
you know, they've been kind of getting by with some chewing gum and, and string and patching it together. They lost their starting quarterback a few weeks ago. And, you know, Iowa State's a good defensive team. And when you're not feeling 100% confident about your starting quarterback and the numbers bore it out, I mean, K-State used two quarterbacks in this one, 9 of 19 for 76 yards. That's Those are numbers that are atrocious for anyone other than Army and Navy. So... Kansas State just came into this one really, really hamstrung based on Iowa State's good defense. And uh, that second quarter was just an absolute explosion. 28 points for Iowa State. Uh, The game was totally done by that point. And, um, you, you know, this was the key stretch. Kansas State is already down pretty big, 21 nothing. And their defense comes out totally no-shows. Three-play, uh, 88-yard drive for Iowa State. Boom, boom, boom. And then the next drive, one-play interception. Iowa State short field. They take advantage of it. Pushes the lead to 35 nothing, And it was signed, sealed, and delivered right there. And uh, here's the theme again, taking advantage of your opportunities. Iowa State took advantage of their opportunities. Kansas State goes for a risky fourth down conversion in the first quarter. They don't get it. Iowa State marches right down the field full of confidence after that. Another quick three and out by K-State. Iowa State marches right down the field. So the Cyclones just showed no mercy. Uh, They were by far the better team. Their defense, like I said, was killing it. And then their offense, 539 yards of offense, uh, 299 passing yards, a really good day for Brock Purdy. And Iowa State's running game has been phenomenal all year, and it you know, was again in this one. So uh, Cyclones, 6-1. and one. We'll talk about them in the preview, but uh, last time I checked if they beat Texas, I believe that pencils them in to conference title game uh it should do it it should definitely do it uh the other big game from the weekend coach was bedlam uh josh we warned you to not pick oklahoma state i didn't i picked the sooners well i picked oklahoma state like three weeks ago because i trust tom herman i trust tom herman even less We're going to have to roll the tape. I guess we will. I guess we will. Yes, we're going to have to roll the tape. All Um, right. While you're talking about it, I'll try and find it. um, Find it. Anyway, uh, Coach, uh, Oklahoma is starting to look like Oklahoma again after a couple losses earlier in the season. Yeah, I mean, Spencer Rattler, for all we said about him in the beginning uh, with his growing pain, seems like he's getting settled in. 17 of 24, 301 and four touchdowns. I mean, just... Just had command of the offense all night long. Just seemed like uh, Oklahoma could do no wrong. Oklahoma State could do no right. Uh, they had them confused all night long. They had them off balance, off kilter. There was plays where off where uh, Oklahoma State players were running into each other. Uh, I mean, there's just all kind of stuff, man. And and you know they they 
Oklahoma went into their bag of tricks for a touchdown. Um, you know, they hit a couple deep shots. And anytime you anytime you can do that, anytime you can hit some some tricks and some some bombs, uh, that's really 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 demoralizing uh, for a ball club. And then they, I mean, a twenty one point first quarter doesn't help your cause if you're the other team on on the other end of that. Um, they, uh, you know, they got out to a comfortable lead and, and stayed that way and just kind of kind of nudged it along. Had a great first quarter. Had a great fourth quarter. Not really much in between for either team, but um, just Oklahoma State was just all off kilter. Couldn't get anything going. Uh, Mike Gundy just looked overwhelmed, overmatched. Um, looked like he spent more time on his mullet than he did on the game plan for Oklahoma uh, because it showed they they were Oklahoma State was bad in this game, and and history will tell you they've always been bad in this game for the most part. They're as bad as is the uh, news network that. Uh, Mike Gundy represents. Huh. Yeah. Um, bad. Just a bad weekend overall for Mike Gundy. Mm-hmm. Um, over in the Pac-12 this weekend, uh, we saw a couple of interesting games. UCLA uh, made it real interesting with Oregon. Uh, I mean, it was 24-21 at halftime. Oregon ends up winning. That by... Chip Kelly uh, chip on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. See, uh, see what I did there? I see what you did there, Coach. Nice work. Nice work. Um, you. you know, uh, even man. without Dorian Thompson-Robinson, yeah. too. Uh, UCLA had Chase Griffin here, who, you know, played admirably. Not his, you know, not the greatest game we've ever seen from uh, from from a quarterback. But the freshman, you know, did do an adequate job here. Demetric Felton on the ground, though, was outstanding yet again. Um, he had 167 yards um in, in two touchdowns and you know Oregon for you know for all of I don't want to even say the hype because they did have to replace Justin Herbert who has been way better in the pros than I expected him to be um yeah dude's balling out in the pros he really is uh elsewhere Utah finally played a game and managed to lose to USC uh, Oregon State beat Cal, so my pick of Cal being the dark horse to win the conference not looking so great right now. Wasn't Jake Bentley in the game at one time for Utah? Did I see that right? <laughs> uh, in that, um, in for for Utah, you said, yeah, for Utah, Jake Bentley. He uh, he's a grad transfer uh, in his 29th year of eligibility. Yeah, he he had four carries for 24 yards. <laughs> Yeah, I saw he was and like, he what threw the, the ball twenty eight times. Uh, what the hell is he doing in this game? <laughs> I don't know. Well, clearly not beating USC. Uh, no, uh-huh. uh, but um, you know, we we had a couple of Brew McCoy sightings for USC, which is a uh, uh, for for fans of recruiting. His saga was one of the craziest we've had over the last five years or so. Um, what's but, up, Brew? What's up, Brew? Um, he went from he committed to USC, then to Texas, then transferred back to USC. Uh, he's finally playing the five star receiver. Uh, Washington yeah. beat Arizona, but not a whole lot to write home about in the Pac-12 over the weekend. Well, uh, Matt, if if you're Utah, you can't win with five turnovers, man. That just it, it ain't gonna happen for you. Neither can Wisconsin. Um, no. The biggest game, though, outside of the outside of the Power Five this past weekend. Uh, took place down in Orlando, Florida, where Cincinnati had their biggest test of the year and won barely over UCF, thirty-six to thirty-four. They needed 
everything that they could get Josh out of Desmond Ritter, and he did not let them down. 338 yards and two scores through the air, another 57 yards and two scores on the ground. He's a guy that people, I think, should be talking about for the Heisman. Yeah, I mean, what more can you do? He's leading an 8-0 team, a top-10 team as dual threat. Um, people said, oh, you know, can he improve as a passer? Well, yeah, he's, he's answered that. <laughs> he's not um, leading the big boys. That's what that's what the problem is. Yeah, well, uh, but, I mean, UCF, tough, tough program to beat, especially down there in Orlando and – Cincinnati found a way to do it, and time just keeps marching on for this Bearcat team. Uh, looks like they will be, uh, barring something chaotic happening, taking on a very uh, sneaky good Tulsa team who uh, survived an overtime thriller against Tulane. So yeah. uh, Tulsa, by the way, is up in the rankings now as well. So uh, As they should be quite yeah. frankly, as they should be. Um, elsewhere, we had a really good game between Coastal Carolina and Appalachian State down there. In I watched every second of that game. I absolutely loved it. It's it, a shame someone had to lose that game. It really, I mean, Coastal pulled away there in the fourth, but uh, 34 to 23. But that, that was just a fun game to watch, Josh. You mentioned it. And uh, Cameron Peoples, uh, he was a man of the peoples, uh, running for 178 <laughs> yards in this one. I uh, see what you did there. Yeah, you like that uh, for <laughs> Appalachian State. Uh, just you know, I, both of these teams are so much fun to watch. I love watching Grayson McCall. I think Grayson McCall is one of the most fun players in all of college football for Coastal, and you know. He's not going to put up huge gaudy numbers, but he may. I feel like he makes the right play. He makes the right read on every single play, coach. And you've got to love a quarterback who's you know who does that, and also not afraid to pull it, tuck it, and run and lower his shoulder. No, I mean he, he's a he, he's an all around great quarterback. I mean, anytime you just discipline that just takes discipline to be able to sit there, read it out, take what you because sometimes your reads aren't exactly the the sexy play, aren't exactly the the I'm going to get on ESPN Sports Center top 10 uh, type plays. But, you know, if, if you make the right read, you get your team in good position, you're undefeated. You're typically going to do well. Um, sometimes the other team who has scholarship players too makes plays, but, you know, for the most part, if you're on point with your reads and your discipline, you're going to do well. And then if you're physical enough to be able to run and lower your shoulder, you know, you're going to make some good throws under duress because that's part of what quarterbacking is. You're going to make probably 10% of your throws with somebody barreling down on you and probably end up after you follow through taking a shot. So to, uh, to be a contact seeker, I think helps him play the position. Yeah. And he's a freshman. We're, we're going to see a lot of him going forward, Josh. Yeah, I was going to say that's the scary thing about him is, you know, he's listed on ESPN at 6'3", 200. That's not terrible. We've certainly seen smaller guys than that succeed in the NFL. Um, 18 touchdowns, one interception. You mentioned he's quite fleet of foot. And he's just going to get better and better. You know, there's 
there's a few mechanical things I see when he throws it that can be approved upon, but like it, it's still working for him because he's averaging 68% of his passes. And I mentioned the TD to interception ratio. So he's just going to get better and better and better. And um, what I love about coastal too is, um, you know, they, they picked off Zach Thomas three times um, at one point they looked like they were going to score. I still thought he crossed the plane in the end zone, but they claimed McCall was fumbling it as he went into the end zone. And you're thinking, Oh my God, that was the chance for coastal to take the lead defense bounced right back. One of those picks came on the ensuing drive. So they bail out a quasi questionable fumble call right there. The other thing I love about coastal, I was rooting for them in this game. I'm going to just quite honestly, be rooting for them every game here on out. Um, What I absolutely love about them is they were picked to finish dead last in their conference. On top of that, this is a very young program, but even in its young tenure, it's established some pretty poor football. This was their first ever win against Appalachian State. They showed a graphic. They were leading going into the fourth quarter. It was the first time in all of their matchups against Appalachian State they had a lead going into the fourth quarter. So, I mean, the buy-in is incredible. Maybe, you know, maybe they get to a New Year's Six Bowl game and they get obliterated. Maybe. Who cares? This ride has been phenomenal. I was thinking about the last time I was so excited for a team outside of my normal rooting interest. And the one I could come up with was the first season back for UAB after they were canceled and they won Conference USA. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I think it's one of those things where, you know, it's a great story. I I think if we would have done our full allotment of of previews, we probably would have picked them dead last or close to dead last with coastal. And and so it's great to see that, you know, they're really buying into coach Chadwell and that's going to, that's going to bode him well um, as he navigates through this, uh, through these next few months. All right. Um, I think that's going to do it for us here on episode 237 of the illegal motion college football podcast. Unless uh, either of you guys have anything to add. One more thing. I know that's a that's a Josh thing, but one more thing. Uh, I read that Shane Beamer is going to be interviewing at South Carolina, so let that sink in. Uh, Shane Beamer, Beamer ball, baby. Uh, he's the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, I believe. Yeah, by 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 title only. Yeah, by that's title like only. Being, I mean Lincoln Riley. That's like the being actual. Steve. That's like being Steve Spurrier's offensive coordinator. You ain't no you ain't no damn offensive coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, you said to roll the tape. Uh, this is this is me last week talking about Bedlam. Uh, I had just completed a rant on Oklahoma State not beating teams very impressively. And then this is me being in favor of ending it as a rivalry game. I'm with you, Matt. I- I'm the opposite. I've picked Boomer Sooner every year we've d- been doing this podcast. The Sooners have won five straight. And what's funny is, yes, it's called Bedlam, and yes, you think it's a rivalry. It's not. It's like it's Oklahoma State wanting to beat 
their big opponent. But at what point can the game stop being a rivalry? It's 89-18-7 in favor of Oklahoma. Like, I get it. They're in the same state. They're in the same conference. But you lose 89-18. Coach, at some point, can this just stop being called a rivalry game? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> Decidedly not. <laughs> I for corrected. Uh, the, the only time I think I would ever entertain the notions of rooting for Oklahoma State is when Barry Sanders was walking through the door, and I believe I was not born yet. Watching Des Bryant was pretty fun. Yeah, it was. Was it, though? I mean, he was putting up video game numbers, so that was fun to watch, highlight-wise. I mean, I'm not watching a full game, but. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, uh, Matt asked if we had anything else to add. I, I think that was what I wanted to add. Um, I have just... nothing else, by the way. All well right. Done. Well, in, so. uh, in, in that case, uh, we're going to wrap it up here for episode 237. So on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, here in the Music City and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten Counting, Josh Cook, up there in the Windy City, this is the Professor in Nashville saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Do it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.